Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Today, just want to say two things. Uh, first of all, how grateful I am for the wonderful ceremony last week, celebrating my family's uh, 10 years of working here with this congregation in this capacity. It's been the best 10 years in ministry I could have imagined. And I just ask for your continued prayers for however many years there are to come. If the Lord delays this return, I very much appreciate uh, all that you all do uh, this is the most involved and active congregation that I have ever worked with in my life. And all of the progress that God is blessing us to make is thanks to Him, but it's thanks to Him through you. And I just appreciate the blessing of being able to continue to be your preacher. I also just want to say a word of commendation about the general buy-in. And I mean that in the uh, spiritual sense more than I mean in the physical sense. But if you will look over there at the uh, board up front, uh, last week's 50, fifth Sunday special contribution for uh, United States domestic uh, mission work and benevolence, just absolutely a record and uh, beautiful. And hey, the week before that, which wasn't a special Sunday, was also pretty awesome. And so on behalf of the elders, just let me say, man, thank you. Uh, but I thank God for you more than anything. May God continue to bless us in every way. So our series right now is the Word of God, but today I, I want to uh, talk about something very specific and very special that I intend to apply the Word of God to, and that is to think about transitions, and all of us then can benefit from this lesson in some way as we think about the fact that there are many transitions that we may go through in a life of any normal length, but specifically I'm talking about the transition from high school to college because this is the last Sunday that some of our college students will be here before they head off to wherever it is that they're going to study. And there are a couple that are heading off maybe for the first time. Uh, whether you're heading off for the first time or the fourth time or, or however many times, I just want to say a few words uh, of warning as, as well as encouragement today. Anytime you go through a transition in life, and this is true for the high school college transition, and it's through, true for any other as well. Anytime you go through a transition in life, someone or something is shaping your thoughts. Transitions are periods of change. And anytime you go through a transition in life, you're going to change. Your inner world is going to be affected. Your thought process is going to be affected in some way. And it may be improved through that process of change. And that's what we would hope for. But it also may not be improved through that process of change. You might be worse off if you go through a transition in a way that is not good. But transitioning from high school to college is one of the most dangerous transitions in life. Because it coincides with uh, the transition from childhood to adulthood. And no transition of life is more difficult than that. And that's just all there is to it. During this period of uh, four to six years or so... Uh, young people are going to make many choices, and, and you guys, let me just speak to you directly. Those of you that are in this college age period of life, whatever years you think of it as, you're making the choices right now that are very much going to set the course of the rest of your life. 
This is not just a timeout period, a sort of bonus round that doesn't count. This counts. And the things that you're doing, the things that you're deciding, the things that you're saying, these things really do count, and they're going to affect every moment of the rest of your lives. And so I don't want this to be too heavy. I just want us to realize the reality. I want you all to realize the reality so that you can make good choices, so that you make choices that will make your life better and not worse. It's a dangerous period spiritually for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, as young people go off to college uh, for the first time, they're leaving the community that has protected them for all of their lives. And you're going to a place where you're going to be under the unmitigated influence of your peers really in a bigger way than you've ever had in your life, in, in which your, your primary community is going to be a whole bunch of folks that are your age and in your phase of life. And the gray hairs, the no hairs that have protected you and led you and taught you are going to be a little farther away from you than they've ever been before. And there's going to be uh, some excitement in that. All right, there's going to be a sense of freedom that you're going to experience in that. You're, you're going to begin to realize what it's like to, to live a more self-directed life, and that's not a bad thing, but you do need to be careful. I'm going to say this again before I'm done, but please listen to me. Everybody needs to listen to this, but I'm especially talking to those of you that are in this, this age group. You are neither as wise nor as strong as you think you are. I know this from experience. So do the rest of us who've gone through this phase of life. And it's easy for us when we're young, and I'm not saying you're foolish just because you're young, but it's easy when you're young and haven't experienced all of these things that you're going through the process of experience and to think, well, I know. I, I know Brother Josh knows what he's talking about. I know my parents know what they're talking about. And I know they're telling me what is the general rule across the board. And I know it's that way with most people, but I'm going to be the exception to the rule. No, you are not. Please don't think that way, because that is not true. It is not true at all. And that's one of the biggest lies that we often tell ourselves when we're young. It's going to work for me, even if it doesn't work for somebody else. Why? Because I'm me, because I'm so special. Well, you are special. I really do believe you are special, and I hope you do too. But the world works the same way for everybody. Right is right for everybody, and wrong is wrong for everybody. And good is good for everybody, and evil is evil no matter who you are. And foolish choices will hurt you no matter who you are. So please keep that in mind. Secondly, if you're going to any kind of school, and I'm, I'm going to try to be fair with this, uh, the environments of different types of schools are different. If you go to a public school, it's going to be a certain kind of environment. If you go to a private school, it's going to be a little different kind of environment. If you're at a secular private school, it'll be one way. If you go to a religious, a Christian private school, it's going to be another way. And so the context is going to be a little different wherever it is that you're going to school. But one thing is going to be certain, and that is that there's going to be sin to find and get into there. But there's also going to be opportunities for good things to do there. There are going to be ways that you can pour yourself into the kingdom of God and, and live this life serving God in a righteous and, and beautiful way. You need to understand that there are going to be professors that are going to have points of view that are, that are not right that may even be damaging and dangerous. And you need to be a critical thinker about those things. You need to test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And so I, I just, again, want to give a few uh, words of advice as those of you, especially that are heading off for the first time, are going to college. 
You know, in our culture today, the, the term safe space is probably something that most of us are familiar with. And it's a very politicized term. And sometimes it's creating, well, the, the, the idea that our culture has in creating safe spaces is creating safe spaces for certain protected classes of people. But these safe spaces are supposed to protect them from other groups of people that are currently being maligned. And I want you to realize that. But, but safe space, the concept of a safe space, is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I want to be in a safe space. The church is, is, is kind of a safe space for me. It, this is a place where I come and I'm among my people. I'm among the people that, are, that love me and that want to protect me and support me. And I have those same, uh, those same intentions toward you. I love you. I, I want to do what's best for you. I want to protect you. I want to try to cultivate an environment that is going to lead to your blessing and to your betterment. And so I hope that you feel like this is a safe space, so to speak. But let's be real about the nature of this fallen world. There really is no such thing as a truly, fully safe space. That's, that's, that's a lie if you believe that you're ever, ever fully safe, never in life. And in order to be a mature and adult person, you got to come to terms with the fact that this life is dangerous, both physically and spiritually. And part of growing up and maturing is develop a mind, developing a mindset that is in tune with reality so that you make decisions that lead you down the safest options, the safest path that you have available to you. And that is the best that you can do, to choose the best and safest path out of the choices that may be laid before you. And it's going to take wisdom for you to be able to do that. Now, your experiences in college are going to vary. Some of you are going to have the best time that you've had in your life so far. Some of you are not going to enjoy the process very much. And most of you will be somewhere in the middle. There are going to be aspects of it you love and aspects of it you hate. Okay? And so, and the professors that you get, who knows? They're individuals. They're going to believe a lot of different things. Some of them are going to like you and some of them are not. Some of them are going to, you're going to feel like they're fair, and some of them you're going to feel like they're unfair. Now, having spent a lot of time in college, I'll say this. Some of your professors will be fair, and some will be unfair. And that's, again, it's a reality. Now, my sweet wife, Keisha, uh, just this year took advantage of the opportunity to be able to go to college for the first time uh, through her, a program that her employer uh, has put into place this year. And she goes entirely online. Uh, so I've been able to sit beside her through most of it and just pay attention to what she's gone through. She's now almost finished with the fifth uh, class that she has taken. And, and I want to tell you this, I had slightly, I had slightly underestimated how blatantly, please listen to me, I had slightly underestimated how blatantly unbiblical social and moral ideas are being woven into the fabric of almost every class. Almost every class. A list of topics to write a paper on, nine out of ten of them are so-called cancel culture issues. Nine out of ten. And the tenth one is uninteresting. And that's how it's been most of the time. And again, your experiences will vary but especially those that are going to go to a public school, I want you to understand that that is very highly likely to be the situation you're going into. The college environment today is, is simply not about giving people an unbiased, objective opportunity to, to become better at reading, writing, arithmetic, and reasoning their way through life. I'm not saying that that's not going on in colleges. 
But I'm saying that that endeavor has been co-opted with a social agenda that in most cases is very much anti-biblical and unchristian. And I am not a sky is falling kind of guy. I'm just not. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about that. But I am a little concerned about y'all. I want to make sure that as you go off, you are aware of what it is that you may be facing so that you can make the best decisions and protect yourselves because biblical teachings are regularly going to be maligned as evil. And that's simply a fact. Frankly, even if you go to a Christian school, you're going to encounter that. And so, let's talk about how you can head off to college with a good head on your shoulders. And the way that you're going to do that is very simply this. You're going to have to plan to be faithful to Jesus at college before you even start packing. You know, don't get excited about the, the transition and pack your bags and go off to college. And they, This is going to be the best thing in the world. And you get there, and if you're staying in a dorm, you get in the dorm, you got everything unpacked, and you're like, well, what am I going to do Sunday? If you get there and that's what you're asking yourself, you're behind the eight ball, man. You've already failed to prepare yourself to succeed spiritually the way that you should. And there are several things that you need to do. You, you've got to make sure that you have a Christian support network there, kind of a spiritual home away from home. I want to encourage you, just like in the bulletin article this week, I gave a preview of some of these thoughts. Uh, if, if you're going to college somewhere away from home, you need to find a good church of Christ, a faithful church that's going to teach the Bible faithfully. You need to do your best to find one. And not only do you need to know where it is and how to get there from where it is that you're going to be living on campus, but I want to urge you to call that church office and find out somebody's name there, and you tell them your name, and you tell them the first time you're going to be there in service and ask them please to look for you. Are you willing to be held accountable by your spiritual community? Or are you seeking to escape from the protection of your spiritual community in order to sow your wild oats? That's a question I want you to ask yourself. I want to urge you to recognize that if you decide on the latter, this is my opportunity to run wild for a while. I'll come back to the Lord whenever I get through this phase of life. You might. You might if you survive it. You might if it hasn't warped your mind and changed your perspective on things. You might even come back with your whole heart, but now bearing the baggage of scars because of the damage that sin has done to you. And sin will damage you. Do not underestimate it. And so I'm asking you, if you're wise, to do this, to prepare the pathway before your feet. That's a biblical concept. John the Baptist came to prepare the pathway before Jesus. And all good shepherds, all good Christians that want to shepherd their fellow sheep, need to teach, we need to teach each other to prepare the path before we take it. Lay out that red carpet, so to speak, so that the next steps in life are going to be easier to do in the right way. And so if you've already found that church, you've already contacted that church, you know somebody's name, somebody knows your name, they're looking for you to be there on that Sunday, now you're being wise. Now you are extending your spirit spiritual community in a way that can potentially bless you in unimaginable ways. Now you're extending uh, the support network you've got around you spiritually. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is just so important a passage, and I don't have time this morning to really develop it a lot, but I do want you to, to listen to it as we read it together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another. 
That's the root of this passage, by the way. The next passage is basically about going to church, okay? And there are lots of folks in the world today that believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible and say, yeah, I know that maybe I should go to church on Sunday, but, you know, it just doesn't really do it for me. You know, I, I get a better experience with God out in my boat on the lake on Sunday morning. I worship God out there while I'm fishing and all of that. And I've said before, by all means, worship God in everything you do. If you go out on the lake and you go fishing, worship God out on the lake while you're fishing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're missing the point of the passage. The passage isn't talking about what's good for you. The passage is talking about what good you can do for somebody else. And so even if you think that you're not going to get anything out of church, understand there's somebody in church that needs to get something from you. And if you deny them the encouragement of your presence, you are disobeying this passage regardless of whether you think you're going to get any fulfillment out of it or not. And so we're given the, the how-to in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, that is strongly encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day, that's judgment day approaching. In other words, every single day gets closer to judgment day, and because the world is changing in ways the Bible has previously prophesied that it would change, that means every single day it becomes more important for you to gather with those of like precious faith even more and more and more frequently and more often and more dedicatedly. Because the world is just going to continue to be a stronger influence for evil. That is what Bible prophecy teaches. If you're going to be able to resist that, you need to be around your, your spiritual support network more and more and more. I want to encourage you to familiarize yourself with, with student Christian organizations and ministries that may be active on campus. Those can be opportunities for you to find Christian friends, maybe to find potential Christians to date. I'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to practice the principle of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21. And I'm begging you to practice this principle in every aspect of your journey from this point forward through life. But here the Apostle Paul says, but test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Test it all. In other words, develop a critical thinking mindset about everything. Why? How do you know? Who says? What do you believe? Why do you believe that? Can you explain to me why you think this is true? What's the evidence for that? Those are the questions that a critical thinker asks. Now, listen, do not let, you tell, let, do not let anyone tell you what a critical thinker thinks. If you have a professor or someone who's an influence over you, a peer who tells you, well, a Christian, or well, uh, critical thinkers think this about that. Why? Why? <laughs> See, that's the question you should ask. But there are folks that will say, if you're a critical thinker, and they'll be a little more uh, slick about it than this, but if you're a critical thinker, you'll realize what I'm saying is true. So don't bother critical thinking, just believe me. <laughs> Man, just see through that, please. Test everything. Hold fast to that which is good. And so when you think about student Christian organizations, just because they put the adjective Christian on it doesn't mean that they're actually Christians or actually practicing a biblical faith. So test it, see if it's going to be a good influence. And of course, everything secular, everything else, apply this principle to that. And spend time in prayer asking God to help you to be vigilant and to give you the wisdom to discern truth from error and boldness to share your faith. You, I, I hope you know James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If you don't know that passage, 1072 is the page number in the Pew Bible there. You can glance at it while I talk about it just for a second. Wisdom is the ability to choose between paths with some uh, 
you know, some credible ability, credible ability to determine kind of where that path is going to end. Now, none of us know exactly how our choice is going to affect things because every decision we make sends ripples out into our own lives and the lives of those that are in our community. We're all bouncing off of each other in, in dynamic ways. And, and so decisions, we make the best decisions that we can, and then we have to be able to kind of course correct as we're, you know, bouncing through other people's choices and the circumstances that happen to us that we can't control. But wisdom is the ability, so to speak, and I'm going to simplify it, to kind of say, I'm at a crossroads here, and there are two paths before me. It may be 15 paths before you, but let's just say it's two, okay? Two paths before you. And to think about, well, if I go down this path, who am I walking with? What do their lives look like? Where is this likely to go? What rules might I be encouraged to break if I follow this path? What about this one over here? If I go down this path, what is this going to do to my Christianity? Is this a pathway that's going to draw me closer to Jesus? Is this a pathway that's going to lead me into the community of people that are like what I want to be like when I grow up? And, and of course, the questions, that's just a limited example of questions. But you're asking questions about, you're thinking about the choices that you're making. You're not just being impulsive and going on emotion. You're saying, I can go this way or I can go this way. What's likely to happen if I go this way? And what's likely to happen if I go this way? That is wisdom. And it's wisdom when you make the choice that in your present ability to understand, and that'll grow through trial and error, through the mistakes that we make, if you keep this mindset about you of trying to make the right choice. But, but then, you know, if we choose that right choice, things are likely to end up better for us than if we choose those foolish choices. And, and where does wisdom come from? Yes, it comes from experience to a degree. But wisdom comes from God. It is a gift from God. And James tells us that if we pray without any doubting and ask Him for it, He will give it to us. And so listen... You know, the thing that set Solomon's life, the course of his life, was that as a young person, maybe even in that college corridor of age, when he was given the opportunity to ask God for anything, the only thing he asked for was the wisdom to make the right choices in fulfilling his obligations to God. And therefore, God enriched his life in every way. And brothers and sisters, God hasn't changed. If you seek the wisdom of God first as your highest priority in life, I promise you, you're going to reap rewards in lots of other areas too because God is good and He loves you and He wants to bless you. And He wants to reward your good behavior as well. Please keep those things in mind. And so, well, continue. I'm going to say a couple of things that maybe you might not like to hear. Don't date non-Christians. Now listen, those of you that are already married and did, I'm not browbeating you. Whoever you married, you need to stay married too. That's the Bible. For those of you that in your youth or even in your old age married someone that doesn't love the Lord and doesn't follow the Lord and doesn't obey the Lord, you know that's difficult. It's brought, it's brought with it difficult situations. It's made it more difficult for you to be a Christian. And that's why I want to say to those of you in this room that have been married to unbelievers for many years of life and you have continued steadfastly in your faith toward Jesus, I applaud you for that. I appreciate the example that you've made. But I think most people that have been married to an unbeliever for very long, if given the opportunity to advise young people as to whether they'd like for them to follow in their footsteps, would say, please, don't follow in my footsteps. You find somebody else that loves Jesus like you do, 
and you give your life to them so that together you can walk this journey that leads to eternal life. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's not law, but it's biblical principle. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, I won't read for the sake of time, but it tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, and marrying someone who is presently an enemy of God. Listen, please, please listen. If you are outside of Christ, you are an enemy of God. And as God's people, we need to understand how to rightly divide, how to put people in their proper boxes the way that God puts them in their boxes, if that makes sense. You're for him or you're against him. That's the biblical teaching about things. And so I'm not telling you that if you do date an unbeliever that you've necessarily sinned, but I do want to say this. If you do, you need to be trying to convert that person to Christ. And if you can't do it in a reasonable amount of time, you need to cut your losses. Because the likelihood of you being hurt, more importantly this, you may say, yes, I love this person, this is an unbeliever, they're never going to lead me away from Christ, and maybe they won't. But understand, if you have children, now things are going to get really, really complicated. And I would spare you of that. So if you're mad at me for saying that, I want you to know I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just trying to give you some good wisdom. Don't date non-Christians. If you do date, please date in a group. You know things that can happen nowadays. Even people who have good hearts that want to go right when put in situations of great temptation all by themselves sometimes find it very difficult to do what's right. Don't you know that's true? If you're going to date, date in a group. Listen, please. Don't mess with drugs and alcohol. I want you to look. I'm, I'm going to read this one, all right? Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verses 29 through 35. And the others you see on the screen you can reference in your own time. But I got more to say, and I don't want to use all of my time. But listen to what the proverb writer, again, this is not a law, but it's a proverb. It's wisdom that you would do well to heed and listen to. Proverbs 23, beginning in verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. You think the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about? Does this sound like somebody that hasn't experienced the things of the world? Oh, no, if you've ever been tempted by alcohol like I have, if you've ever had a problem with alcohol like I've had, you know exactly what this passage is saying, and you can feel the power of that temptation. It's telling you exactly what it's going to be like. But verse 32, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? I just warn you, this is what the Bible says about drugs and alcohol. And having experienced multiple years as an addict myself, I can tell you, it doesn't start that way, but it very often ends that way. Maybe you're the strong person who can drink moderately all your life and never have a problem with it. Maybe you are, but maybe you're not. How are you going to know until you know? I'm just saying, don't mess with it. You'll be better off if you don't.
And finally, I don't have a Bible passage for this. Not one that's legitimate. I thought about maybe, uh, you know, stretching one, but I figured I would not. I'm just going to give you a good word of advice. Don't stay out late at night. Don't stay out late at night. Nothing good happens out in public after midnight. Ever. (laughs) Ever. Okay? All right. Well, let's continue on. Please listen to Mark 8 and verse 38. This is also a parallel in Luke 9 verse 26. Jesus says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, this is a time period in which the world is pressuring those who believe in Jesus and believe in the Bible very hard to keep our faith in a closet, so to speak. You do whatever you want with your church group when you're in church there and at home if you want to read the Bible and pray and talk about your beliefs. And even if you want to put Scripture up on your walls and write it on the doorposts of your house and your gates, we're all cool with that. But once you come out into the public world, you leave that faith behind and you be secular like the rest of us. The Great Commission will not permit that. Obeying Jesus will not permit that. You must be the light of the world. You must be the salt of the earth. You must be the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so I'm begging you, go off to college fully intending to let your light shine. Let it shine. Don't be ashamed of the fact that you're a follower of Jesus. Why would you be ashamed of following the one true king? Why would you be ashamed to follow the one who left heaven and gave himself as a sacrifice for you to save you from your sins? Why would you be ashamed of the one who loved you when you were unlovable and who still loves you in your periods of time when you're hard to love? Why would you be ashamed of owning that Lord? Why would you be ashamed? But Listen, it's not just about saying you're a Christian. That's easy to say. Jesus didn't just say, whoever's ashamed of me. Notice what else he said. And of my words. Do not be ashamed of anything in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. Don't be ashamed of the genocide of the Amalekites. I'm not ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of what The Bible says about those who deserve to die. I'm not ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of the sexual morality that the Bible teaches. I'm not ashamed of it. It's right. Every individual, every family, every community, every nation that builds itself upon the teachings of the 66 books of the Bible is blessed and succeeds and is healthy. History has proven it. Try to disprove it. If you doubt it, try. Investigate it. I'm not telling you what to think. Be a critical thinker. Investigate for yourself. I follow Jesus. And I follow his word. Not only when it steps on my toes, but when Hebrews 4.12, when that sword of God's word cuts me to the quick, I follow Jesus, and I trust in his word. And I'm asking you, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old or how young you are, I'm asking you to do whatever you've got to do to get your questions answered, to put the Bible to whatever test you need to put it to, to put the case for Christ to whatever test you need to put it to, 
so that you can come to the place where that solid rock foundation is firmly beneath your feet to where those questions are settled. And when they are, you'll have no reason to be ashamed. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. You know the passage perhaps. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, this stuff that is all over social media today about all of these you know, folks on these politicized polar opposites of each other on opposite sides of the street, you know, slandering each other, shouting at each other, holding up these signs, cursing at each other, saying that the other side's the devil and, and uh, just leading toward nothing good. Don't be a part of that. You don't have to be mean to people to tell them the truth. You don't have to be disrespectful to people to tell them the truth. Tell them the truth, but do it in love. Be patient with people. So this is what I believe, and I'll share it, and I'll tell you why. And if someone says, I just don't like that, okay, all right. Can we talk about it further? No, I hate you. Okay, I love you anyway. I'm just saying, I don't know what kind of conversations you're going to get into, but you can be bold, and you can stand for the truth and still be a person who exemplifies the love of Christ. But we're to give it a defense. Be prepared to make a defense for the reason. You see that? For the reason. There's a reason why we believe what we believe. There are facts to be believed. There are promises to be enjoyed. There are commands to be obeyed. And all of this is very rational. The Word of God does not ask that you set your intelligence aside. In fact, God is not at all afraid for you to put His book to the test. Test it. His book says to test it. Test everything, even the Bible. Hold fast to that which is good. God is perfectly confident and comfortable in asking you to test His Word because He knows that if you do so, you're going to find the evidence that you seek. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I've said this before. I wish that you would not get aligned with either one of the directions of things that are going in our culture politically today. Because neither one of those things are heading towards Jesus, really, when it comes down to it. Don't get involved in this war that's going on in our culture. You be someone who transcends this world Someone whose citizenship is in heaven, whose kingdom is to come in its fullness when Jesus returns to this earth. You be a pilgrim and a sojourner in this world so that you can be separate from all of that. Because a lot of our culture today, uh, they look at different kinds of, of Christians, different groups of Christians, and they say this group is aligned with this side politically, and this, this group over here is aligned with this group politically. And they're going to go ahead and put you in a box and judge you for that. So be a Christian in a way that just blows their minds. I just can't figure out what box to put that guy in. I just can't figure out what box to put that girl in. I mean, she's a Christian, but she doesn't act like I've always been taught that Christians act. I mean, every time I try to get her, you know, back on her heels and get her, you know, defending herself, she just loves me. Every time I try to get him mad, he just blesses me. Love people. Don't deny the truth. Love people. Wait and see what the Spirit of God does through you on their lives. You provide the positive peer pressure. You be the good example. And when people malign your faith, they will be put to shame. That's the promise of Scripture. And so, bringing our thoughts to a close this morning. Theodore Roosevelt said, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. And that is still true today. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Noah Webster, the father of 
American education. Said education is useless without the Bible. The Bible was America's textbook in all fields. God's word has furnished all necessary rules to direct our conduct. I want to ask you to take your Bible study very seriously. Part of your preparation for going off to school should be to decide how often in the week you're going to sit down by yourself in private to say a prayer and to study a portion of God's Word. Make a decision about that right now and then do it. Because if you learn everything there is to know about biology or about psychology or about whatever field that it is that you go to study, but you neglect the study of Scripture, you're a castle in the clouds, man. Your feet are not on the ground. You don't have a foundation. And you desperately need a foundation. So, my beloved young brothers and sisters, our hearts go with you along with our prayers. Please do not hesitate to contact any of us here at home with your questions. I am just a text or a PM or a DM away any time of the day. Please don't be naive about the environment that you're going into. It is a spiritual war zone, as this whole world is a spiritual war zone. And I've said these things today because I want to help ensure that you're not a casualty. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget that this is home. and We're your family. And we love you. And we will do anything in our power to help you to go right in life in the way that will lead to success. I want to end the sermon this morning with a prayer. Would you bow with me? Almighty God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the bless, the, the, the way that you've made this congregation so rich, and the greatest riches you've given us is this, this group of people love each other in all different phases and stages of life. And as some of our beloved young brothers and sisters are heading off to college for the first time, I pray that you'll go with them you'll bless them and guide them. As those that are going off for the second, third, fourth, fifth time, again, bless them. Bring them home to us. More importantly, bring them home to you. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, if you're subject to the invitation of the gospel, if you've never obeyed the gospel, giving your faith, your life to Jesus in faith, and obeying the commandment to be baptized so that your sins might be washed away, the baptistry is ready. We'd be glad to help you today. This morning, if you need the prayers of this church, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.